Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Alright everyone, it's that time again to get your Bibles, and I'm going to tell you, you're really going to want them today. We've got a lot of scripture we're going to read. Some of it's going to be up here, uh, but I want you to grab your Bible and have it in front of you, and I'd encourage you on top of that, grab a piece of paper and a pen, because there's, there's so much here that I want to encourage you to write down some extra passages Write down some of the main points and then spend some additional time digging into these things yourself because there is absolutely no way that we can do the entirety of our focus this morning justice just in the time that we have. And so I challenge you to do that. I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to do that every week, not just this week, uh, but each time that we open God's word together that it would be a catalyst for you to do more. Not not that it would be enough, not that my work in prepping this would be enough, but that it would just give you a taste, so much so that you go, ah, I want the whole buffet. I, I want to really dig in and chow down in the scripture myself. That's my, my prayer, my desire for you. And today, um, I want you to open up to the book of First Peter. First Peter. And uh, we're going to look at a couple different passages in First Peter, primarily we're going to focus in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, but have it ready, open up to 1 Peter, and we're going to get started together. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a probing question. And that question is simply this. Um, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Now, many times if we were to hear this question our first instinct is to direct that towards our job or our career. And you would answer the question, well, I do what I do professionally because, and maybe the reason is I make X amount of dollars, or because it's what I went to school for, or because it's my passion and it's what I love doing. But I want you to think even more specifically than that. Why do you do anything that you do? Why do you... Watch TV in your leisure time. Why do you spend time in the outdoors when it's nice weather out? Why do you eat the food that you eat? Why do you have the friendships that you have? I want you to think in detail, why do you do what you do? Now, if you're just joining us for the first time in a series of talks, we've been going through a series entitled, Like Christ, and our entire goal in this series is to answer the question, if I am seeking to become more like Jesus, then what am I seeking to become? What specifically has been modeled in the person of Christ that challenges me or moves me to become more like Him? What is that? What are those specific parts of the character of Jesus, what He did, who He was, and how then should I take steps to move in that direction? And we've talked about aspects like obedience. We've talked about humility. We've talked about endurance. We've talked about mercy, extending mercy. And all of these individually are extremely challenging. 
And yet in the midst of all of that, we can do or seek to do those things, but without answering the question, why do I do what I do? It's easy for me to become distracted or shift that focus to something that I am creating or intending or shifting the purpose to be my purpose rather than what God has intended that to be. So why do you do what you do? And in all of today, in all the scripture we're going to read and the the main points we're going to cover and what we're going to evaluate, there's really one main point that I want you to grasp and I want you to hang on to. And that main point is this, practical holiness is being like Jesus both in who we are and what we do. Practical holiness, that is holiness lived out, practiced, actively practiced, is being like Jesus both in who we are and what we do. Now, in order to understand this better, we're going to look at multiple scripture passages that talk about this. And the first question that may be presented is, based in this root of holiness, has God really called us to be holy? Like, I know he's called us to do good and, and, and to, to love him and love our neighbor, but holiness? Is that really what the Bible says? And I want to take you to a few scripture passages kind of in preface to our main text in 1 Peter 2. And then we're going to look at that and we're going to evaluate what biblical holiness is and where we can see that in the text of scripture. But rooting in the whole time, my desire is that you would see from these texts of scripture that lived out, practiced holiness is being like Jesus, both in who we are and in what we do. And so the first text I want to bring your attention to is in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45. And it says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Holy. Now, in a similar way, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Again, in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, it says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, some of you in listening to this, you would identify and go, now, wait a minute. This is all in the Old Testament and it is in Leviticus, the book of the law that God is outlining for his chosen people, the nation of Israel. And this is part of the old covenant. And you would be right. And so if we see this in the old covenant, do we still see this same concept or principle carried through into the new covenant in Christ? And I'm going to identify a couple more passages. The first one, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 3 and 4, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, what? Holy and blameless before him. Similar, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And in 1 Thessalonians, this is specifically speaking speaking to immorality, the sins of the body, sexual immorality, and, and, and identifying that that is not what God has called us to, but instead he's called us in holiness. He's called us in holiness to holiness. Another passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what I want you to grasp here is that throughout Scripture, not only in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel as part of the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system, the law that was put in place, but also under the New Covenant in Christ, the call for the person who is seeking to follow after God is that you would put away the passions of your old self and pursue holiness. To become holy, to be more and more holy. And we could even identify and say that sanctification, which we've identified is a big word for the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, also means the process of becoming more and more holy. And now I want you to turn your attention to 1 Peter 2, and we're going to read starting in verse 18. And as we do so, I want you to understand that the book of Peter, if you were to read the introduction in 1 Peter 1, he's writing this to those who are saved, those who are in Christ and spread out, dispersed amongst all these nations. At the time, in different provinces of what we would now know as modern day Turkey. And so these believers are spread out all over the place and Peter's letter to them is to remind them what their calling is and what their focus should be no matter where they're at, and no matter what seasons they're going through. And so there's value and there's application for us today. And what you're going to see here, starting in verse 18, is he's speaking specifically to servants, those people who would have had earthly masters. But my prayer is that as we read this, and then we're going to pray that God would open our eyes and reveal to us this text in a new and encouraging way, that we would be challenged by this exhortation, And that we would see the real life, real time application of this in our current situation. And that our focus would become less about being who I think I should be and more about who God has called me to be. So starting in verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. 
Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, as we evaluate this text today, may our focus be turned towards what you have called us to. Reveal to us the distractions in our lives that have led us astray, that have led us to go a different direction. And Lord, even the things that have caused us to go uh, the opposite way of holiness. Help us to see those clearly, God. Make us more like your Son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're thinking about this, I want to give you an image picture that I hope will help you kind of perceive where we can go wrong in this. And many of you, at one time or another, have used a vending machine. And whether that's at the store or at the hospital or you're out and about and um, you, you use ones, maybe you're at a hotel and you want a quick snack or you're getting a drink uh, and you stop, you put your, put your money in and you hit a button, you get to choose exactly what you want. The reality is, oftentimes, our idea or perception of God is shaped by the same concept that we would portray towards what we expect from a vending machine. I'm going to give you a little bit of something of mine, and I expect you to give me what I want in return. And this contributes to our own concept of kind of shaping and building God into a a box that we want him to be, and that, that includes characteristics that we think God should have, and expectations of us that we think God should have. And when something doesn't fit in that box, or what comes out of the vending machine, per se, isn't what we thought we should get, or what we ordered to begin with, we lose it, and we become disoriented, and maybe even start to doubt or question whether God really exists, and whether he's really who he says he is. And I loved this quote from Oswald Chambers, specifically in regards to our focus on holiness today, and becoming more like Jesus, and he says, God has only one intended destiny for mankind, holiness. His only goal is to produce saints. God is not some eternal blessing machine for people to use. And he did not come to save us out of pity. He came to save us because he created us to be holy. Think about that for a minute. God didn't simply come to save us, to redeem us, to bring bring us out of this because he had pity on us and he wanted our happiness to be fulfilled. Rather, he desired that we would be holy as he originally created mankind to be and was tainted in Genesis when that holiness was cut off because of the sin choices of mankind. And so when we take that perspective and shift our focus and our mindset to be one where if God is longing for me to live in a way that pursues holiness, it should impact why I do what I do. 
Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see numerous exhortations here. But the first, the first item that I want to direct your attention to in answer to the question, what is biblical holiness? What is biblical holiness? Is in verse 22 of 1 Peter 2, it identifies Jesus' example here. And it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so if we're asking the question, we're, we recognize God's yearning is for His people to be holy as He is holy. It's a big Big order. <laughs> okay. But the first identifying factor here, biblical holiness, is to be without sin. It, it's the absence of sin. And sin, to describe that in the most simple terms we can, is missing the mark. Missing the, the, the mark that God has established. Not the mark that we or some other human has established. That's how we get into legalism. Okay. But the mark that God has established, and ultimately the mark that God has revealed in example through His Son, through Jesus. If we do anything that goes against that, it's sin. And we know that Romans 3 speaks that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is, all of us have fallen short of the holiness, the righteousness of the one true God. Which brings about the desperate need for us to have more than ourselves in order for salvation. But biblical holiness starts by recognizing that biblical holiness means absence of sin. Now, if you flip back a page in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13... And I'm going to read a couple other passages in addition to this as well. But 1 Peter 1 verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is looking to the future, looking ahead at the return of Christ. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed. From the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass. 
and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good news that was preached to you. Now, emphasizing this and focusing on this, you see the exhortation or the expectation that knowing that, this is verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed, that you the price is paid from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, by the blood of Jesus, that is, in simple summarization, in recognition of what Jesus has done for you, pursuing holiness means putting aside, not conforming, not moving any longer to the patterns of which I once followed in my sinful flesh. The active removing of that. Romans 6 goes into further detail of this where Paul asks the question, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. Everyone say, by no means. And instead, we should seek to live a life that is set apart from sin. Moved away from that. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Don't do that. How can, it goes on to say, how can we who sinned continue to essentially serve it and instead of putting it to death and putting it to the side? 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us that for our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Think about that for a minute. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? So that we would become a better version of who we are? No. The righteousness of God. And the revealed, the exampled righteousness of God is in Christ. That's why we're asking this serious question of, if I'm seeking to become more like Jesus, what, what am I seeking to become? And and fully recognizing in that that we can read all the self-help books you want and you're going to get someone's opinion on who you should be or what you should do. And here, my desire is that we would value who God says we should be and what we should do. And knowing that God has revealed that, not just in His Word, but through the living Word, which according to John chapter 1, we know is Jesus. Biblical holiness is absence of sin, but secondly, it is active obedience to God's will. It's active obedience to the will of God. That is not conforming to the way of the world. And we saw that an example of that mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 1. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Well, if you're not conforming to those patterns, what should you be conforming to? What should you be pursuing? The answer is the will of God. And several passages that emphasize this, Romans 12, 1 and 2, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable And perfect. Not only a call to holiness, 
but also an appeal that you may test and discern what the will of God is. That's not just so you can say, hey, I know what the will of God is. Rather, it's so that you would be doing, actively doing the will of God. Ephesians 4 is another one. It says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thirdly, Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Praise the Lord for that. But it goes on in verse 12, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, if we look back at 1 Peter 2, you may be wondering, how does any of this have application in the passage we read first off this morning? An absence of sin in verse 22, we see that Jesus is referenced as having been our example having committed no sin, nor deceit found in his mouth. Then in verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is, Jesus himself, even in his pain and suffering and the anguish and the trial that he faced, he not only did not sin in the midst of that struggle, but he continued to entrust all that he was and all that was happening to his heavenly father. He continued in the face of trial, in the face of hardship, to commit himself to the will of the father. And the challenge here in First Peter is, servants, in whatever you face, make sure that you are doing it as Jesus did. Whether you're facing suffering, whether you're in times of plenty, that you would do all that you do in a way that who you are and what you do models Jesus. Now, I want to give you two biblical reminders regarding holiness. Because we can often hear these passages and we feel this deep sense of guilt and And maybe even despair because we go, I am so far from this concept of biblical holiness. I'm so far from achieving that. And listen, listen to me first off in saying, this is exactly what the gospel exists for. It's in recognition, the good news 
is not some guilt trip to make you always feel ashamed. Rather, it's a testament, a proclamation of freedom in Christ, recognizing that I am hopeless apart from Jesus. But, in our pursuit of holiness, there's two, there's two things I want you to recognize. First off, is that Jesus set the example for us in the area of absence of sin and obedience to the will of God. Jesus set this example. And there's multiple passages of scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Hebrews 4, verse 15. 1 Peter 2, verse 22, and 1 John 3, verse 5, all testify to Jesus being without sin. And in fact, if you want to go one step further, in John chapter 8, Jesus himself challenges the Pharisees and essentially asks them a direct question. and says, who of you can, can testify or, or reveal that I have sinned? And so not only does scripture speak about the sinlessness of Christ, Jesus himself was confident enough about this aspect of his holiness being God in human form that he was willing to challenge someone else. And I know I can testify that in my own life, if I were to pose that question, many people could bring about accounts in my life where I have sinned. I am not that. I do not have absence of sin in my life. But Jesus sets the example in this. And not only that, but in obedience to the will of God, just in the book of John alone, in John 4, verse 34, in John 6, verse 38, in John 8, verse 29, Jesus testifies and reminds his followers, I am not here to do my own will. I'm here to do the will of him who sent me. I am here to do the will of the Father. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. Over and over, Jesus speaks about His purpose was not to do His own will, but to do the will of the Father, to live out the will of God. So in our pursuit of holiness, in our pursuit of these things, recognize that Jesus sets the example, but secondly, recognize this, that apart from the Holy Spirit, we are unable to be made holy. You can try everything in your playbook, everything in your toolbox to do this, and you're going to fall short. Why is that? Because there's a dynamic missing if we are not in Christ and have been given the Holy Spirit to convict and guide and reveal those weakness areas in our life. And Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in verse 17 of Galatians 5, it goes on to talk about how there is this tension between my flesh and my, my human self and that which God has called me to. And so in recognizing that tension, I also have to recognize that it is only by the Spirit's working in me that I'm able to even attain one step in the direction of holiness. And so don't try to do this on your own. Because you're going to get discouraged. You're going to lose ground and feel like, hi, ah, it's not possible. And recognize that this is a lifelong pursuit to pursue holiness together. And so you may be asking, this is a lot to process and information. Practically, what does this look like in application? What, what do we do right now? Where do I start? I can see that Jesus modeled this and it is a high and 
lofty expectation. I can see that I need the Spirit's help in my life in order to accomplish this. But where do I even begin? And the first thing, take responsibility for your sin. Take responsibility for your own sinful behavior. And this is meant to be a hard-hitting truth. And this comes back to the vending machine mentality of God. Where we expect, I can come with all my sin and everything I have, and God, you just are going to give me what I want, and exactly what I need in the time that I need it. And yet, we get frustrated, and we get upset, and, and then we continue to sin. And we, we blame God, or maybe we take an inactive approach to sin, and we say, well, I'm redeemed in Christ, and so, God, you need to, you need to help me, you need to make me stop sinning. Like, you need to, you need to stop this in my life. No, 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 no. God has fulfilled His purpose in Jesus. God has made a way for us as sinful fallen people to be made new, to experience new life, to be redeemed, to no longer be condemned. But He has called us to walk in holiness. That's an active exhortation. To walk in holiness. You can listen to all the biblical teaching in the world and still choose to live in your sin. Holiness will not happen until you recognize your own role in your sinful behavior and commit to stopping. In his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridges says this, Now that we are in fact dead to sin, to its rule and reign, we are to count on that as being true. We are to keep before us this fact that we are no longer slaves. We can now stand up to sin and say no to it. Before, we had no choice. Now we have one. When we sin as Christians, we do not sin as slaves, but as individuals with the freedom of choice. We sin because we choose to sin. And this is further emphasized by Galatians 5.16, which says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us that no temptation has overtaken us except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. That is, the temptations that you face, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, all of those temptations are within your power to say no to. And if you're going to seek to live like Christ, you have to start by acknowledging the sinful patterns in your life and saying no to them. And committing to disciplining yourself and pursuing God's will. Pursuing what God would have you do in everything that you do. Secondly, in application, do everything you do to please God. Practical holiness is being like Jesus, both in who we are and in what we do. That means that every opportunity of every day is a chance for me to walk in my flesh or to walk in holiness before God. That means in my leisure activity, I have the opportunity 
to do that, whatever it is, in order to glorify God. When I step outside into the creation, I have the opportunity to do that in a way that pleases and glorifies God. In every relationship, in every trial, in every temptation, in every job or task that I have, I have the opportunity to do that in a way that pleases and glorifies the Lord. And the more I do that, the more I take practical steps to do that, the more I am pursuing holiness and the less I'm conforming to the old pattern of my sinful way. And 1 Peter 2, this challenge that Peter is writing to servants specifically, is just that, to do everything you do in a way that pleases the Lord and testifies to the hope that you have through Christ. So church, my challenge to you today is to stop and consider what, why you do what you do. And that your answer to that question in everything would be able to shift gradually over time to where you can identify and say, I do what I do to glorify the God who has saved me. And I do what I do in a way that models Jesus. The example that's been set before me, the very one who's gone before me, who's conquered sin and death so that I can walk freely and have power over sin. Let's commit to that together. To take responsibility for our sin. To do all that we do to glorify God. Heavenly Father, as we consider this challenge, it is a heavy one. It is a weighty one. May you convict us daily of this, but then remind us of salvation in Christ and the freedom that we have because of what Jesus has done. God, humble us. God, help us to not quench the Spirit's work in our life, to refine us, to purify our lives. And may the impact we have be rooted in a holiness that's being pursued for your glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.